Welcome to the Judaism From Within podcast. I'm Similana. Is it true? This is a question that's going to be fairly central to people's decision whether Judaism as a worldview is going to be interesting. When I say interesting, I don't mean from the point of view of it drawing their attention, it being relevant to their lives. People can always point to reasons why Judaism is relevant or interesting or useful. But to immerse yourself in it, for it to be your mission, for it to be something that truly calls on you, you have to think it's in some way reflective of a greater reality. When I say in some way, I mean at the very least, the door is open to the possibility that it's reflective of a greater reality. Otherwise, all you have is relevance, all you have is what's practical, all you have is it happens to call to me now. That's an impoverished way of looking at the Jewish tradition. Don't get me wrong, people will appreciate Judaism for its cultural reasons, and good on to them. But it stops it being a covenant. It stops it being a relationship. It becomes like so much in our society today, another form of consumerism, ideas that you collect. This is where the mitzvah of remembering Har Sinai comes into play for Rav Hirsch. That's what we're going to discuss. We're going to discuss what Rav Hirsch meant when he said the Torah was a fact, and why that's important. And then we'll go on to the specifications of the actual event at Har Sinai and show how they're also symbolically relevant in how they impact how we look at the world. For Rav Hirsch, there was no point or interest in going down proofs for the existence of God. This was a post-Kantian world, a world that had just experienced David Hume, criticisms by the enlightened movement on arguments for the existence of God, making them far less convincing, far less certain than they were the generation before. And we're still experiencing this today. But there is another key principle at the root of Rav Hirsch's philosophy, that he actually thought the Torah was true. I hear you saying, well, obviously, he's a rabbi, isn't he? Right, but it's slightly deeper than that. This wasn't a principle of faith for him. This wasn't something that he believed happened. He treated it like a fact. What I mean by that is that he felt it fit in to a historical event, specifically Sinai, and felt this could be argued for. And that is key. He didn't think it could be proven in the philosophical sense of the word. As I said, that whole school of thought he pushed to one side. He felt it was under a historical event, eyewitness testimony. Now that is a certain type of historical evidence. It can be debated its veracity, but if you think there is enough reason to believe it actually took place, it becomes a historical fact for you. It becomes an event in history. And on that basis, he argues for the truth of Judaism, as well as his entire method of explaining the mitzvahs of the Torah. The truth of Judaism is because it relates to an actual historical event. The basis for his entire method of approaching the reasons for the Torah is that he treats it like a fact, like science treats the natural world as facts and then hypothesizes based off the phenomena that it finds in front of them. That is the same method Rav Hirsch used when it came to the Torah. He treated the Torah like a fact, the individual phenomena that arise in the Torah and their interconnections he hypothesized on reasons and then went ahead to try and falsify them and see if they actually held up to scrutiny. 
But the reason why he said his approach to the Torah was scientific is because he used the same method, except his raw material was different. So, to recap what I just said, for Rav Hirsch, the Torah was a fact based in the revelation of Sinai. It argued for the truth of it, based off a historical argument, as well as it being the basis of his entire methodology when it came to explaining mitzvahs in the Torah, because it was a fact for him, like any historical fact was. This allows us to appreciate the point I mentioned at the beginning, about Rav Hirsch's commitment to its truth, as well as its relevance. Because Rav Hirsch can always be seen as giving profound, meaningful, and moving explanations for the commandments in the Torah, but that isn't at the expense of truth, meaning he might not think there is a value in some sort of abstract philosophical belief in the oneness or the existence of God, but for him, there is a deep and profound connection between the truth of the Jewish claim and how it is relevant to your life. We speak about the relevance the whole time, how the oneness of God isn't just an abstract philosophical idea, but it is a meaningful idea that should impact how you act in the world. But the truth of the oneness of God is also key, and that comes out in his discussion of the fact of revelation. So much so that he felt if you didn't think it was true, then you would be immoral for living it out. Granted, that sounds slightly radical, but let me play it out. If you're not rolling in cash, and you have to provide for your family, be you a man or be you a woman, and you have dependents, what gives you the right not to work on the seventh day of the week? Are you crazy? You could take a day off. If you're wealthy, you can do what you want. But if you have people depending on you, and you don't think there is any sort of truth to the claim that God expects us to rest on the seventh day, that's not called being responsible. And you have to answer for that. You have to act in the world in a responsible manner. And if you don't think there is any truth to this, and there are people who will suffer if you don't work on the seventh day, then who are you to take the day off? So the connection for truth is deep. It's not a how to act in the world and a disregard for the truth of the claim. No, the truth of the claim is intimately connected to A, its meaning, but also how you should be living it out. So this goes through the fact of revelation, as Rav Hirsch calls it, a historical event. Factual, like historical events are factual. Rav Hirsch clearly was not there, but he treats it like a fact. And I say treats it like because that's how we relate to historical events. We don't experience them as first-hand experience. Hence Rav Hirsch stresses that it was eyewitness testimony that is our basis. Of course, this isn't the place to discuss an actual argument why I actually think it's a historical event, but we're playing with the assumption that Rav Hirsch thought it was, and that's how he treated it. But that's how you treat any historical event. You treat it as a fact, if you think there is enough evidence that is a basis for the truth of the event actually happening. You treat it like a fact. You weren't there, clearly. God never appeared to Rav Hirsch, but he has a historical event, which he treats like a fact. Rav Hirsch then goes on to the manner of revelation. Now this is also fascinating, because it's two pokes, as I call them, on Christianity, because the manner of the revelation and Hasinai is also key to how we look at the world. And for Rav Hirsch, there are two distinct takeaways. One, that it can't be changed. It can't be changed, uprooted, or edited. God doesn't change his mind. And this is a small crack at Christianity, because if the basis took such a 
impactful event that can be used in an argument for its authenticity. To uproot that, you need something equivalent. You can't have something less. If it took a certain basis, a certain veracity, the bar has been set to what it is justifiable or responsible to commit your life to this. God gave us a event, an event in our history, an event that is quite unique throughout human history, and thereby it's responsible for us to be committed to Judaism based off this argument, to uproot an aspect of Judaism, for God to change his mind, for us to remain consistent, for God to remain consistent, we would need something equivalent in scope, in number. So two cracks that have been taken on Christianity here. The first one is the direct nature or the manner in which Sinai took place. It was direct. A constant reminder that at the core of Jewish theology is that God has a personal relationship with us. No intermediary is needed. And the second little crack on Christianity is that for God to change his mind, can't really go down from the bar that he set at Sinai. Sinai is the basis. Sinai is really the basis of belief in a personal God across the board. Without that, you don't really have any justification for a personal God. You might have arguments for the existence of some sort of substance to the universe as Spinoza did, or even half-baked arguments for the existence of a prime mover or a first cause, but that doesn't have anything relationship with you or even the arguments from design. You might walk away with the idea of a designer, but there might be two of them, and it might be a child designer. It doesn't give you the personal god of the Tyra. Harsinai does. So for anything to change, we would need something of equivalent value in terms of its veracity. So, that's the idea of revelation, but there is another idea that Rav Hirsch puts down in this mitzvah, that of prophecy. And the way I want to really just touch upon this idea of prophecy, because those are the two key ideas that are given over here. Sinai represented the beginning of the journey. Har Sinai represented the beginning of those steps that the Jewish people were taking throughout history. It's a continuous journey. It didn't end with the desert. It didn't end with going into Canaan. It didn't end with us having a king. It didn't end with us being exiled. It is a continuous story. The story goes on. That is where prophets come into play. A prophet isn't a soothsayer, a fortune teller, an oracle. The point and the purpose of the prophets of the Jewish people were to keep us on course. To keep us on course of the journey that was set down at Sinai. We were set on a journey. Set on a religious journey. A journey and a mission to the world. The prophets keep us on track. And that's reminiscent of what we mean by a sin. A sin is an avera, you pass over, a hate, you miss. The idea that there is a framework that the Jewish people are living within, that was set down at Harsinai, to sin means to go beyond that framework. And that is the purpose of the prophets, to tell us of a future that might come if we don't keep the course straight. We don't keep on course. There is a future that is coming, that is avoidable. So... The role of a prophet isn't legislative. It is not normative, telling us what to do by way of law. It is informative. It tells us to keep on course. It reminds us. It wakes us up. That is the role of a prophet. So, we spoke about revelation in two senses. One, the legislative role of Harsinai. But more than that, that it being the foundation of 
Jewish belief, the foundation of the concept of God having a relationship with humanity. Individuals claiming God speaking to them doesn't hold weight by way of evidence or testimony. The event at Sinai does. And interestingly enough, it was immune from the criticism of the Enlightenment. We mentioned how arguments or traditional arguments for the existence of God were put through the grinder. But Revelation escaped this. Revelation isn't part of the classic philosophical category of proofs. It sort of transcends that. It goes in on the basis of its historical claim. So it was an area that sort of slipped through the Enlightenment's criticism. Still to this day, a person can ridicule it and say, well, it's stupid, and you th to think that God speaks to people or cares about people is a silly idea, but that's not an argument. Rav Hirsch is justified to treat this as a fact because he thinks it reflects a historical event. So that was the fact of. The manna gave us two outgrowths. Two cracks, or hits, at Christianity. One, it was direct. We look at our relationship with God as one being a direct relationship. And second of all, we know it doesn't change. God is faithful. And if anything would change, it would have to be at least to the same bar that it all began with. And then we spoke about the role of a prophet, one that doesn't give law, but informs us, reminds us, wakes us up to remain on the course that was set down at that original event at Sinai. Thank you very much for listening. We can be found on iTunes, Spotify, or any good podcasting network under Judaism From Within, or ravhirsch.org, or more recently, on the OU Torah website. Have a great week.